0: I was trying to make dinner and I filled a pot full of water and boiled the water
1: the sink was full and so he put the strainer on top of all the dishes all the dishes in the Ben
0: there, ben there. Well, <laughs> I was also in the kitchen and barefoot and the scalding water went through the colander onto my foot. And like I had like a second degree burn on my on my foot. The
2: Leaning Uh, Tower of
0: (laughs) Colander.
2: to episode 267 of Pup Theology Live, a weekly conversation on life and faith over a craft pint, a fine wine, or whatever happens to be in your glass. On today's episode, Shannon and I are joined by two special guests who have cooked up something fantastic. Can't wait to share huh. about that with you all.
1: <laughs> I, Dad. You know, we should have done it like SmartList where they're like off screen and then we like reveal them or something.
2: Yeah, there you go. There you um, go. Like- and the puns—the puns, we'll are, wait for that. puns have already started. Ogan is not with us this morning. He is—he's uh, mid- still
1: alive, but he's, he's just still
2: alive. <laughs> yes,
1: he's—he's
2: he's with us in essence. He is mid-European travel, uh, so he'll be back with us soon. And whether you are a longtime listener or are new to the show, did you know that you can get even more content for a few dollars a month? You'll get access to pre and post pre- and post-show banter, a Pub Theology Live pint glass, and more, sign up at patreon.com ptlive.
1: Today we welcome to the show Anna Weston. Anna Weston. Wow, I just married you two off. Well, apparently I'm not the picture anymore. Y'all, we are in the middle of book launch week for that The Just Kitchen um invitations to sustainability cooking connection and celebration written by my husband Derek Weston and Anna Wolfenden I always joked that like if Derek co-wrote a book when what the chances were that his name would actually be first because his last name would be you know yeah. alphabetically and Anna, and is not very happy about it <laughs>
3: no I it was the other way around and I insisted switch
1: oh you switched them I did oh alphabetical yeah. order hmm so those of you that are longtime listeners of the show derek's been on several times derek works for the creation justice ministries with a title that i can never remember something about theology and training and coordination i don't know and awesomeness awesomeness um nailed it i totally nailed it i i really they're like what do you do and i'm like he works for creation justice it's fine you can ask the earth he heals the earth um every day makes it a better place anyway um so we're very excited to have him on anna is the co-author of well as long as well as the book this is god's table if you haven't read it it's fantastic you should go out and buy them both today wherever books are sold Hmm.
0: anna also has a day job
1: oh right (laughs) oh do i anna's um uh, rector Yes, I never get the Episcopalian Church words right. Say priest. She's a pastor. Priest. She's a pastor. She's a minister in Northampton, sure, Northampton, Massachusetts. Y'all, I'm really tired because. Um, anyway, she does that. She also has a lovely family, and we're so happy to have her on the show. And I will just share that I'm drinking coffee because I'm really tired. Did I stress how tired I was? I'm really tired. I'm so, really tired. Um. Yeah. So, Derek, what are you drinking?
0: I'm also drinking coffee.
1: (laughs) And we didn't put anything in our coffee either. Nope. Just coffee.
0: They're not Irish. They're not.
1: Anna's got a little, like, Anna's drinking chai with a little splash of milk or something. I don't know. Yeah, but no alcohol. No alcohol. Right. (laughs) Brian, what are you drinking today? Yes,
2: I'm also drinking coffee we're recording in the morning we we usually are an afternoon show even one o'clock feels like beer o'clock but yeah. 11 a.m is a little early
1: it's a little um, so not I've that i haven't a, done it it's just I've, I've just changed. got
2: a, a breakfast blend uh coffee yeah we're
1: ours is a Colombian something i don't know Bought from one of those big box stores that Derek slams in the book, so
0: whatever. (laughs) Thank you, big box stores. We
1: do what we have to do. But then we have the
3: grace in the book. Exactly. Absolutely.
0: Awesome.
2: On to today's topics. Welcome, Derek and Anna. So glad to have you. Would you just take a few moments, tell us a little bit about the book and what has you the most excited about this project, maybe even how the project came about.
1: Sure. So Derek
3: and I co-host the Food and Faith podcast and um, started a number of years ago with our friend, Sam Chamlin. And throughout those conversations around food and faith, we kept noticing that we talked a lot about the production and the ways that um, food comes to our kitchens. And we talked a lot about eating around the table, Um, but there's a lot, not a lot written or interviews or conversation about what happens in the actual kitchen. So we thought, what would it look like to bring some of those stories together? Um, And I was approached by acquisitions editors that are, who was asking, could I, write something around cooking. And I was like, I don't know anything around cooking. I, didn't, I kind of felt like this wasn't, wasn't my area. Um, and But uh, Derek had been talking about some of it. So I called him up because you never tell an acquisitions editor no without saying what. And as Derek and I started talking, um, I got really excited about it. He had a lot of really interesting insights and ideas. And I think we both came to this place of saying, we might not be experts on cooking, but that's not the point. It's about telling stories. It's about asking questions. It's about exploring why is it that we focus so much on the growing of food and the eating of food and not the cooking of food. Um, so the book is an exploration into those questions into stories. We did a number of interviews on our podcast. Um, so it's, it's certainly weaves in some of our own personal stories and narrative. Um, but more than that, it's a collection of people's explorations and wonderings and an invitation for our readers um to be part of that um that questioning. Nice. There Derek, are anything
0: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I was I felt that awesome. felt all inclusive. But um I think one of the other things that I'll just point out is as much as possible we tried to write with one voice. Um, Ann and I, you know, Google Docs, shared Google Docs, makes that possible. Um, But we also took the opportunity in each chapter to tell a little bit about our own experiences in the kitchen and cooking and family experiences. So that's mixed in throughout the book. We also have recipes from several of the folks who we interviewed and throughout the book are a bunch of liturgies and prayers and activities most of which Anna wrote um that are spaces for people to reflect we want this to kind of live in people's kitchens and to be usable in people's kitchens um so it's it's yeah not just something to sit on a bookshelf but it should have some coffee stains on it it should have some splatter from you know grease or whatever. Uh, it should be used. It should be well-worn, um, but hopefully not just in the cooking, but also as you're preparing and getting your heart and mind ready to think about the place of food in your life.
2: Awesome. Awesome. That's
0: cool. So in the kitchen,
2: uh, what is, you do you think the best thing that each of you or all three of you cooks? Like you know, oh, you got to try Anna's such and such. If someone would say Anna makes the best such and such, what, what would that be for each of you?
3: Well, I just started going into the land of um, Blackstone Grill cooking. Um, actually, was my gift to myself with uh, when this book came out. And there was a um, restaurant that unfortunately in Northampton that unfortunately closed during the pandemic after a valiant attempt to um, and um they have these they call them fried smashed potatoes and before they closed I asked could I have the recipe <laughs> <laughs> right so they were so, closing yeah <laughs> so it was very generous of them and, and there's a, a restaurant that we really tried to be part of supporting throughout the pandemic you know, just, it just I was, it was it, it, I still feel, feel sadness about this this community that um but this is feels like one way to keep keep the belly of the beast fried smash potatoes going so um they uh and I, they worked really well on the grill and they're soft and just lusciously delicious inside and crispy and recently i used some potatoes that i grew this year um garden to, to do the fried smash potatoes um and had some friends over and i i could have like any excuse to make fried smash potatoes i will take it um maybe friday morning <laughs> Depending on how it's
0: amazing,
1: <laughs> I know. It does sound amazing.
0: What about you, Derek? I feel like maybe Shannon and I should ask this question, like
1: of answer this other. question I know for I each other. Think that too, because um, right. I have something in mind that I think is the best thing I make, and but I don't know that you would say that that's the same. Like, you know.
0: So, what would you say is the best thing? I
1: make? think the best thing I make is that a. a italian sausage bean soup
0: oh that's really good
1: i think that I, yeah, like yeah. that's my meal like that i take to someone like that's my this is so good i will give it to other people meal it, yeah it's italian
0: bean
2: sausage it's an italian
1: sausage and like uh white, white beans beet,
0: sausage and, and kale, and kale like or colors and it's really
2: good. good. Yum.
1: Yeah it's good. It's really good. Yeah. um Lots of vegetables and
2: Derek what would you have said if she hadn't answered with that?
1: He's gonna say mac and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> I knew what He would say. Say it. Go ahead. Say it.
0: Go ahead. Well not your mac and cheese.
1: <laughs>
0: S- sucks.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that would eat that?
0: <laughs> I eat it out of pity. um <laughs> No I was gonna say mac and cheese. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think I'm curious in hearing your answer. I think the best thing I make is pesto, which can go on a lot of things. Like it can go on pasta, but you can have it on fish. You can like that seems to be the thing that bread on bread. It's the thing that's like requested from the children. Nice. So. Well, how would you have answered that?
1: I, I know. I knew that was going to be your answer. Mm. Like, so Derek started making several years ago, like he did start making his own spaghetti sauce, which is really, really delicious, mm. I have to say. And then that has also turned into like pizza sauce because we got him a pizza oven a couple of years ago. But I really do think the best thing you make is the smoked salmon on the Ooh. smoker. Oh. I really Ooh. think that's like, that's delicious. That sounds amazing. Uh. Um
2: nice okay.
1: but what's but the favorite thing to cook is different i think than the best thing
2: yeah yeah, yeah. talk about that mm.
1: so i don't know i don't know that i like i think what i'm i think my favorite things to cook are like baking things like during the pandemic um maggie and i made this it's a uh, it's a french tart but it's got a word for it um galette A galette, thank you. We made this apple galette, and like, I just that that's a lot of like pastry is a lot of fun, but like it's hard, but it's a lot of fun. But I'm not necessarily like good at it. It just I really like desserts and dessert type things, and I like. I remember that that was delicious. It was, Um, and I made an apple cake. Like I, I do other. I also like to jam. I like to make jam and. Like the jam. I do like to jam. It's my jam. Um, but anyway, yeah, I like I like those. That's, to me, the most creative, fun type of stuff, even though baking is more measured than cooking is. But I think that's part of it, is it kind of lets me off, weirdly, lets me off the hook mm. for the pressure to get it right because the recipe gets it right.
0: Now, wait a second, Brian, what is the best thing you
2: make? Oh,
1: right. What's ah. the best thing you make, Brian? I always forget Brian's here. <laughs>
2: easy to do easy to do you know i would probably say and this is not fancy uh french toast is Mm -hmm. like what i yeah it's what i like to make and it's probably like if the family's like oh yeah we like dads whatever it's probably the french toast Mm -hmm. but i and i i felt like i make a pretty good french toast but then i was uh on a guy's weekend earlier this year and a friend of mine made the french toast and i kind of watched his process and i got way out french toasted <laughs> <laughs> like he was he was doing some next level stuff so you know i got to i got to really dig in and up the game What I does think. that even look
3: like? What's like next level french toast?
2: Well, i mean better bread which i think that's kind of obvious. That's the key. You got to start, yeah. sure. start with good bread which i try to do but sometimes I'm lazy and it's just what's on hand so I tend to do like you know I I tend to like dip it in the the egg milk stuff he kind of lets it just rest in it for a while Mm -hmm. and for me I'm always worried is it going to be too soggy but then he cooks it slower so that it it doesn't end up too soggy doesn't burn
1: on the outside yeah and
2: it really it really was like wow this is better so mm-hmm. i think letting it rest in the in the stuff longer and then um cooking it more slowly so that it can more fully cook and it's not like cooked on the outside but so soggy that it's kind of like ugh. Um, so anyway you know and sometimes i'll add a little like almond flavoring uh to it which i think is kind of a nice little edge to the french toast but yeah yeah.
1: what's your favorite? What's
2: your favorite thing to cook? Is that also
1: your favorite? It thing was to cook? that, but now I. I like, oh, <laughs> now you're not the best at it in the world. Then <laughs> I
2: can't, can't be the best else. at it. I hate it
1: now.
2: <laughs> 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 no, I, I probably my favorite thing to cook is chili, because mm. with chili you can just be as creative as you want to be.
0: Mm-hmm. Like
2: you just like I was making chili. I think it was you know this past winter and didn't start with a recipe just kind of like well I kind of feel like all these things should go in it but then I just kept looking in the in the pantry for more things to add and yeah I think I maybe overdid it a little <laughs> what are all these flavors happening I'm not sure they should all be together but it, it just invites that sort of like well just throw it in the pot and it's yeah. gonna stew and it's gonna simmer and it's gonna the flavors are gonna meld together so a chili is for me fun because you can experiment
1: Like soup, like soups and stews are fun for that reason. Like you can pretty like you can interchange a lot of things in soups and stews. It's pretty hard to
0: mess up too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I feel that way about like a hash too. That's kind of I don't know if it's I think
3: it is kind of fun. It's like, look, what do we have? What do we not have? Throw in the leftovers, enough spices to make it interesting. Yeah. Throw in a few
1: eggs. So what's your
3: favorite thing to cook then? I mean I honestly, right now, it still is those fries. <laughs>
2: <laughs> of course, it's so
1: good. Listen, when that's your favorite so thing and your best thing are like, that's, that's the winner. Yeah,
3: I mean that may be just this little season, but I, I'm in that right now.
1: Yeah, I'm What's your... So, um,
0: I started baking bread over the pandemic, um, and I I just love the process of baking bread. It's it's just really. It's a long, slow process, and I I love a long, slow process. And it's just it's also just kind of magical that like you kind of go from like having flour in the morning to having bread at night. um but, but that also leads to uh I, I, I don't know why I feel the need to tell this story, but it also kind of leads to the biggest mystery that is happening in our house right now. Yeah. Um, so I I went on a trip <laughs> a couple of days, a couple of weeks ago for work. And I put our, my sourdough starter. He
1: says he did. I I,
0: I put my sourdough starter in the refrigerator.
1: I, so, wait, wait. so what you need to know is like the sourdough starter has its own special sourdough container because he was putting it in mason jars and like to clean the mason jars of the... Anyway, it's a mess, but it has its own like special... It has a house. He thing. He put it in the fridge when I he left. I put it
0: in the fridge when I left. I came home, it's nowhere to be found.
1: Like I didn't touch and, it and by the way.
0: no one will take credit or blame or like like or we
1: it's cannot gone. find it. It's what? Gone. It's we disturbing. can't find the container. We can't find like we you can't find is, the dog.
0: There is no,
1: there's, there's no, no.
2: I think the cat took it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's possible. It um, to the
0: fridge and took the sourdough container
1: and the starter. So interesting. The, the only like the only outside person would have been like the cleaners were here during that time, but they didn't. Sometimes they clean the fridge, right? When there's very few things in it, that is not very often. Usually, our fridge. I'm not like if the like right now the fridge is like what I would consider half full because we were gone and we're going to be gone again. Um, that is uncomfortable for me and that's that's a therapy session to hear why but um, I like the fridge is packed full of things all the time and they don't clean the fridge because they it would take them a full hour just to clean the fridge they didn't clean the fridge it's like it's just gone
0: it's just just gone gone.
1: that is the weirdest Um, thing
0: It it is
3: so
1: that's our little fun adventure. So, in other words,
3: nowhere's more sourdough than the west of England.
0: Well, I, I bought a new, bought a new house for my starter. Oh,
1: there's a new container so, in a box.
0: But I'm but I'm traveling for the next two weeks, so like I it didn't make sense to like start it again and like have it vanish again. um so. Like we're
1: gonna move. <laughs> And we're yeah, gonna find the sourdough starter. Just, like it's gonna be yeah. disgusting. Gonna be, yeah, I feel like, you know, it'll be the best of,
2: bread you've ever had.
1: Right, like <laughs> it's the mother dough from Brooklyn 99, Right, like um, you know, at the end of Weird Science when they do the popcorn experiment, I'm dating myself. Did you Ow. all see that? What? That's what it's gonna be with the sourdough starter. Like at some point, we're gonna come home and there's just gonna be sourdough like coming, breaking the windows, coming out of the house. That's what I imagine is gonna happen.
2: Ugh. I don't know. Nice. Well, in the book, uh, you, you write, we hope we can all begin seeing our kitchens as sacred places where important things happen and not just as another room where menial tasks are performed. So I, I love what you say there and how you say it. And so I'd love to hear both of you talk more about the sort of sacredness of that space in the act of preparing food?
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that has happened over the course of writing this book was just slowing down and and thinking about um, who I'm cooking for, where the food came from, uh, what it means to be connected to a large chain of people through the food that we 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 cook, um, what it means to be connected to nature through the food that we cook, and ultimately what it means to be connected to God, what it means to be um, provided for, what it means to be nurtured, what it means to be um, held um, by the divine. Um, and, and just recognizing that as we cook, you know, stories, um, come to the surface, um, history comes to the surface, um, life experiences come to the surface, um, you know, certain foods are triggering of memories and triggering of relationships and triggering of, um, experiences and, and, The kitchen becomes sort of the holder of all of those kinds of experiences uh, for good, for bad. Um, Some of those things are really beautiful. Some of them are hard. Um, But when we allow it to be more than just a place where this chore has to happen multiple times a day, it really can be a, a, a really sacred place. It can be a really holy part of our house. And and um when we slow down and allow it to be that, uh, it kind of changes our relationship to food and and to feeding and being fed. Mm. Yeah, beautiful.
3: Yeah, I think that I um I think that just the space for reflection has been powerful and that. I mean, all that Derek just shared, and it, it seems like um, it feels like that sacramental thing where, you know, we have our different theological ideas of what happens in a sacramental moment. Was that thing sacred before? Does it change? But what I what I feel like I know for sure is that when we pay attention to something, that we change. And I think that's what this book process has done for me. Is I don't know that I'm doing. I'm not doing things drastically different in my kitchen. Like, it's not like, oh, I was just ordering, you know, pizza every night. And now I'm making everything from scratch and locally. I mean, that's not, neither of those are, (laughs) (laughs) right? Um, But I do think I am paying attention in a different way. Some more often, not all the time, but more often. And because of that, um, I'm just noticing, and I'm noticing on the frozen pizza dinner nights, the grace there is in that there is, you know, always has a good gluten-free frozen pizza that, and our family can afford to get it. And it means that we kind of have a little more family time together on Friday evenings. And there's something sacramental in that. And then, Hey, there's a, you know, it's Saturday and I had time to go out and harvest something in the garden and think about a recipe and cook it and have that slower time. There's something sacramental in that. Um, And I think, um, also in the ways that we really try to bring attention in the book to our home kitchens and our individual and family and communal experiences, but also thinking about um, church kitchens and community kitchens and the way that, um, you know, just the, the questions about how are we feeding one another? How are we respecting the dignity of people? How are we connected buy this food but even in the act of cooking how is that that moment again you know yes we know that we're connected to farm workers and to environmental degradation and repair and you know and and we know like we, we've had those kind of two two ends of the, the question but you know what happens at the soup kitchen in the kitchen right and who's there and and why are they there and how are one people treating one another and, so I think the attentiveness, if if I have to say one thing that's changed in me, but also one thing I hope for the people to this book is just to pay attention in a different way. And that in that, I think that there is a revealing of how um, our kitchens can be a place of justice and repair and healing
1: and hope. I think that's really interesting. Um there's so much conversation in like, a, in a good, I'm, I'm all for it, right? Around like where the food comes from, how it's grown, and all the negative things that we've done to food. But even like, as much as we want to think about that, we encourage people to think about just accepting what is in front of you. And even just starting in that place, even if it is right, this, like, Uh, you know all the pizza or whatever that or I think about um you know we do a lot of frozen vegetables or something just because it's convenient in our house and there's there's a lot of convenience in our kitchen very it feels less and less that it's a sacred meal but what's important for me and then what you just said was like the sacredness of just this is what I have and this is fine. There's nothing like I need to stop judging that. Yes. It's not about perfection. It's about like, it's okay that this broccoli has been frozen. i still want to make it the best I can. And how do I still season it? Well, and how do I, you know, I, I don't know, but there's something, something to like, just starting with where you are, that is part of the sacred journey.
3: I think so. And I think people are often myself included Um, We get hung up on, okay, if I can't, if it can't be local, seasonal, if the whole meal can't be, and I can't put that Instagram post where I'm like it all, you know, then I don't even try it all. And I think that's where we fall down. I mean, I think this is so true of much of our lives and justice work is it's, it's too complex. Yeah. You know, we look around and if you get, you know, I mean, that's kind of, we make fun of it, but if you, if you drill down to know the name of the chicken, and the carrot, and where did it come? I mean, it it becomes this kind of like rigid um, yeah, perfectionism. And I think for many of us, it just means that we stop trying. And I hope that this invitation in the book is, yes, it is important to be attentive to these things, but not to the exclusion of just being, where am I right now? What's the reality? Yes, I know I'm connected to all these systems of justice and injustice, how can I do the best to make the shifts that I can make today? And, and, um, and that that's how the world is going to change in the end. Right. Is, Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we need the big changes and we need the little changes and it's, it's, it's that both, both and, but what definitely is not going to help is if we just get overwhelmed and feel shame and stop even paying attention. Right.
2: Yeah. I, I love that. And I, I think how we frame anything in life can so, um, you know, shift internally what we bring to it. And so, you know, like you said in the quote, like, instead of just seeing it as a menial thing, well, you know, I have to eat today or my family has to eat today or my roommates have to eat today. So I guess I'll figure something out versus like pausing and, you know, Seeing the the opportunity there, and that this is a a privilege to be able to prepare food for those I care about. And it's not just the eating that's where magic happens, but even the preparing. Like I think of when my kids were younger, especially, you know, when they would, you know, help, we're going to do this recipe together, and they would help, you know, peel potatoes or, you know, need the flour or or whatever. It just felt like such a, a special, intimate, sacred moment with my kids now they're teenagers they roll their eyes you know when's the food ready dad you know um so you got to take that when you can get it but but i just love the way you re- you frame it as something sacred and and to me that that just can be such an internal shifter for the good for all the things that you said So you also write, which I think is is so important, that there's something about the kitchen that both draws us in and repels us. We believe it's important to learn from the tensions we hold to see what we can discover. And we've hit on that a little bit, but say a little bit more about that, how sometimes the kitchen can be like the place you, you don't want to go.
1: I
0: think one of the things that we dug into was that there are histories connected to the kitchen that are ugly, um, that the majority of the cooking that happens still to this day in most households is done by women. And oftentimes that has been not by choice. Um, we know that there's been a history that um, for a long, long periods of time, time in our history and still in some places that people of color were doing the cooking for white people in this country um and even in the even in our restaurants you know but still primarily people of color who are working in the back of the house so there is this dynamic of of who is serving whom and there's this power dynamic of cooking that i think has often made um cooking very uncomfortable. I remember describing um, the book to a colleague and her saying to me, you know, um, you know, so much of my feminism uh, in in previous periods of my life has been about getting out of the kitchen. And so thinking about going back into it um, actually is is kind of a intimidating prospect here. So I think recognizing that there has been this um there's been this tension there's been this um there's been unequal power there's been domination there's been systems of oppression um attached to cooking we we don't often name that enough and we don't often name that that's why the kitchen can at times be really uncomfortable um but I, I would also add you know kind of building off of our last conversation that i i do think that we've we've uh, the, the flip side of that and it's it's ironic the flip side of that is that we've also kind of held up celebrity chefs right and we've kind of held up this idea of cooking as this artistic thing and so if i can't cook like you know, the the ridiculous person who's going to use a quail egg instead of a chicken egg because it's, you know, so you know, if I if I um if I if I am not adding creme fraîche to things, I have no idea what creme. I don't is.
1: even know what creme
0: fraiche is. I don't know, but like every cooking show uses it. Um so <laughs> I, I know that. Um so so on 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 one hand that's the systems of oppression, but on the other hand, it's it's we have these like primarily male celebrity chefs. Who are are elevating cooking to this artistic level? And if I can't do that, um, I then I don't want to. I don't want to be in. I don't want to do that. If I can't do it perfect, I don't want to do it at all. Didn't you say that, Brian? Uh, So,
2: so my kids are going to be like, Dad, French toast without creme fraiche. Like, what Uh, is this? Whatever. (laughs)
1: Why would I ever have French toast without creme fraiche? Step it up, Dad. (laughs) What are you thinking? So like, you know, I think about too, like I didn't necessarily consider this until you were saying that of like, now it's um, like new restaurants kind of have an open kitchen, you know? Mm -hmm. But like, it used to be that like, if you got sat near the kitchen, that it was insulting. Yes. You know, that like, like even we wanted design, like the kitchen was a place to be separated from. Mm And again, if we want to go back to the shame of that, like we didn't want to see the people making our food. Right. We didn't want to know, not just All where the sauce it made. from, but yeah, we didn't want to associate with the people making it. Yes. Um, and it's still, that still continues to this day, which is not this conversation, but like of how front staff in a restaurant get paid differently than yep. the backroom staff of the restaurant. Um, so still kitchens are, we still have this weird barrier, and yet this prestige it's a strange uh, for me, the 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 repelling comes a little more like it goes back to that mundane kind of thing, right that um I used to I think I've said this on the show, but like I used to love to I mean, really, like it was a daily love of mine. and the pandemic changed it and it changed my relationship to our kitchen in a really um, On one hand, like a lot of people have said this and on the other, like the more that I think about it, the like I have a deep sadness about it. Like I really don't like, it's not just like, oh, I don't like my kitchen. Like I don't want to cook anymore. You were like, oh, you
2: all want to eat again today? uh, Really? Like, (laughs) real.
1: Stop needing to eat. Didn't we
2: eat just yesterday?
1: We we have eaten five times today. Oh my God. I just, and I I don't know how to get it back. I really don't. I I struggle. I struggle with it. So, uh, anyway, I just named that to be like, there's also this other part that repels me in a, but it has brought up some of those, like questioning my own. I do think I really did love it. I don't think I was just falling into a trap of of being a woman in my age. And yeah, Yeah. I do think I really did love it. But it does make me, um, even in our family, where we do have these conversations a lot, it still is, it still does default to me. I don't necessarily think that's all because I'm the woman in our uh, heteronormative relationship. But I do think it's because so much of our marriage, it was my task. Like, I think that's more of the issue for us, but I can't remove the fact that, you know, I'm the woman in the relationship from that equation either. So.
2: Anna, would you add anything to this uh, repel versus being drawn in tension?
3: Yeah. I mean, I think it kind of, to me, goes back to this, this uh, piece about paying attention. And I think, I mean, I mean, it came up in therapy during reading the book. I don't know about <laughs> your household, but in our house, like it just in writing the book, that there, um, those stories surfaced in a different way. And it's been interesting, even just already in the opportunities we've had to share the book in a few different settings and would ask people to think about, you know, a childhood kitchen or a kitchen that was meaningful. Um, there's something very tender and vulnerable I think that happens. And I, my senses are I to say for myself. And I, I think this may be true for others that part of the repel is, Oh, there's feelings associated. You know, we, we go to that memory and we, we will even say like, and you know, what are you, what are you seeing? What are you tasting? Who's there? What are you feeling? And that, that is a, um, I mean, that's, more and less comfortable for for us in different moments. And so I think that when I think about like what can draw us back in, I think it does have to do with that kind of breaking through that to, to a place of like a healing or a repair, be it internally or with there's involved. Um, and I think that, you know, I mean Shannon's sharing about I think the pandemic broke so many of us in so many ways and like there's there's a long healing and repair for what wherever that kind of got lodged you know i feel like there's some there's something that maybe gets lodged in us in the Mm -hmm. in the being broken um and the thing that i wonder about is and you know we try to explore this in the book is can the very place where we were something was broken be the place where we can find that repair um and that certainly has been true in my own life of um you know just especially wrestling with gender roles and um how that you know has has shown up in different ways and the ability to consciously choose and the ability to reflect on oh this is layered you know like I, I started off this impulse from one place and I'm ending it at another or Oh, does the resentment come in because I actually feel resentment in this moment or is it like a layered story but so I, I think that there's some. I I wonder if why it's such a drawing and repelling is because there's a power there. There's a real power and possibility for um for pain and for healing. Yeah Brian, what about you?
1: Do you um are you yeah. drawn to the kitchen?
2: Well, I was going to say for me, you know, what's coming to my mind, you know, we have a, a large family, four kids. And uh, one of the things we face is the perpetual tyranny of dishes yes. and the mess <laughs> yeah. in the kitchen. And yeah. so for me, like those rare moments when we are on top of our game and the kitchen is is clean and things are picked up and where they should be, it's much more inviting to step into that space and to imagine like making a home-cooked meal but so often it just feels like it's so cluttered that Mm -hmm. I am repelled by it and I don't want to deal with it. Like I, like we need to eat, but gosh, this mess. So I, I'm wondering, do you get into that aspect of the kitchen at all in the book or, or how would you all respond to how, you know, how to deal with that? Like, because I think a lot for a lot of us, that's just life, but it's like, ah.
1: Yeah. Do you want to tell your pasta story?
0: Oh, that's not actually in the book, I don't think. Yes, it is. Oh, is it?
1: Unpreparedness. <laughs> oh,
0: oh, right, yeah. So, um, I, this, I wrote the book a long time. We
1: should, we should read this book. <laughs> we should probably
0: read this book at some point. Um,
1: Everybody's talking I, about I had this it.
0: <laughs> situation where our kitchen was a mess, and I was trying to make dinner, and and I filled a pot full of water and boiled water to make pasta and the kitchen was the sink was full. I'm pulling the pouring the water out to drain it and it's scalding hot. Wait.
2: And wait.
1: The sink was full. And so he put the strainer on top of all the dishes. All the dishes in the been
0: there. Ben there. Well, I was also in the kitchen and barefoot. And the scalding water went through the colander onto my foot, oh. and like I had like a second degree burn oh. on my on my foot. The Leaning uh, Tower uh, of Colander.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it was so nasty. It was
0: it was it was gross. Nasty. Like you can still kind of was see it? the discoloration on my foot, which I don't encourage. But but yeah, I think being able to talk about preparation, you know, there's a whole chapter on preparation and yeah, that is part of the you know, I think Brian the way you said it, the tyranny of dishes, you know is a, is a, it's so daily, and it's a part of our lives. and And yet when we don't do the preparation, there are there are consequences, sometimes not as dramatic as second degree burns, But I, making our kitchens more inviting, making our kitchens yeah. more hospitable, is actually, you know part of how we talk about this is like it actually is a way of doing self care mm-hmm. that like when we actually take the time to make the kitchen a place that is hospitable to cook for our, even just for, for ourselves our for our own feet for our <laughs> own feet um that is a that is an act of self care mm-hmm. and so thinking about that preparation yeah. and and doing that work as a way of saying i care enough about myself mm-hmm. to not put myself in this mess um i i think is a it's that's part of how we frame it in our our conversation that, about it.
2: that's good that's good and for me like i know it it probably stresses out my partner christy more than me so for me it's it's also care for her yes like for me it's like i can kind of live with some of the chaos and 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 it adds stress level to her uh and so for me to pay attention to that and 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 sort of for the care of the whole is important.
3: I think there's also something about rhythms. And I mean, I don't remember if it went, made it into the book because I need to read this book, apparently. <laughs> but this idea that the first thing that you do before you start cooking is actually to make sure all the dishes are prior like, done and, and like even to, I mean, it was just kind of flipping it in my mind of that to clean the kitchen and wipe down counters pre-cooking. I always think like that's how you do after cooking which is a great idea after cooking too, but if it hasn't happened, that if you have the time to, and that you're gonna, you know, even save time in the end, but mm-hmm. just that mental clearing space. And that really has helped me to kind of rethink and say, okay, I'm gonna take five minutes. I mean, sometimes it really is just five yeah. minutes, yeah. you know, right. at least stack the dishes <laughs> in the sink yeah. rather right. than maybe door on the counter, you know, maybe not in the <laughs> sink. And, um, and, and just that, but that's a spiritual practice. That's a mm-hmm. rhythm to be able to say, "I'm going to prepare. Like, I'm going to take the deep breath. I'm going to be here, and and then something can happen from it."
1: Well, and our kids have shown interest in cooking, but they don't want to do the cleaning. Like, I'll be like, right. "That's great, but we've got to clean. We've got to at least clear off this much counter space. So we need to empty the dishwasher." To blah blah blah, and they're like, "Oh, we're out." <laughs> and I'm like, and. I, so I grew up in a kitchen that was like, get out of my kitchen. And, and it wasn't out of, this is my time. Or it was just, well, we weren't allowed to be anywhere. Like we were allowed to be in our rooms. So <laughs> that's pretty much it. And for our kitchen, like, it's so small. And the way that you come up from the basement, you can either walk around the kitchen or go through the kitchen. And like the kids will cut through the kitchen. But it's just a necessity of like, please walk around because things are hot and things are messy and there are knives everywhere. And like it, and honestly, like Derek and I really can't be in the kitchen at the same time, unless we're using the Island on the other side or the dining room table or something else. So it really is a, one of those things that um, is, it's frustrating because the value is you want the kids, you know, you want the big, everybody participates and whatever. And there's just some reality to it. You know, I don't. know Yeah, I don't like reality. Reality sucks.
3: Well, I don't know <laughs> that we talk about this in the book, but I think it's worth noting the physical kitchen matters. Yeah, I mean, there's been places I've lived with like tiny little slot kitchen. You really can only have one person. How do you? I mean, do that? I mean, the next book.
0: Well, actually, we'll when you do touch about on a little bit. You really should read the book at
3: some point. Yeah.
1: yeah. I should. Um, <laughs> But, but. Um, by the way, Anna wrote this with like an infant, like a very small infant. So it's not I'm just surprised. that she didn't. But
0: you know. but we don't we don't go into it a lot. But one of the things that we do talk about is like actually like our kitchen is a place of celebration, it's like cooking for celebrations, but like actually celebrating our kitchens. Yeah. And recognizing that like we have we have the kitchens we have. And and being able to maneuver in them to use them to their fullest to um be able to take advantage of the spaces that we have that is part of like not just using our kitchens for celebration but celebrating the kitchens that we have and some of that you know I think for so much of it is is you know again kind of going back to what you said to open us up Anna is that so much of it is is attentiveness um and and learning to, you know, cultivate gratitude and things like that for the spaces that we do have and the spaces that we can inhabit. And yes, we would love to have a bigger kitchen. We talk about it all the time. Our next place is going to be like three-fourths kitchen.
1: Yeah, I need a tiny bedroom, tiny kitchen. Um, also, though I think about this all the time, if we had more counter space, we would just have more shit on our counter space. Yeah, like 100%. we would just have more stuff everywhere.
2: One hundred percent. Right, like island concrete. You're
1: not wrong. Counter <laughs> you're not wrong.
2: <laughs> and
0: it's
1: like and it would these- we would
0: find other ways to clutter.
1: You know what? We don't need more. Actually, I've, I've, I've come around. We don't need more counter space. We need more storage space. Yeah. Like yeah. that's what we need. Yeah. Easily accessible, yeah. usable. Yes, I need. Yeah. I need stuff anyway. Whatever. Yeah. But, like, mm. I look at the, you know, I want, you know, you watch I in the garden and her whole separate barn. And, and I'm like, people clean up for her. Yes. Like, right. she doesn't clean that up. Like, come on.
0: Anyway. I would also like a production crew.
2: I would
1: like a production crew to come <laughs> in, prepare everything. I would also enjoy cooking if that were the case. You know? yeah. yeah.
2: Before you go into the kitchen, makeup.
1: <laughs> good lighting how's it going also i want millions of dollars to live on the hamptons in this beautiful garden yes okay done done, done. <laughs> i would enjoy cooking again that's how that's how i would oh, that's, enjoy that's, the kitchen there we go. again that's that's all awesome. i found it yes <laughs> let's talk
3: about kitchen and class yes <laughs> let's
1: do <laughs>
2: All right. Maybe our last uh, quote here from the book. So also in the Just Kitchen and this uh, first part is in an interview with Jason Chestnut where he says, last night I caramelized some onions. What is more magical than that? I didn't do anything except add heat to onions and they changed states. I love that quote. And then your response in the book is maybe the same can be true of our lives, our communities and the world. So share more about how that quote impacted you. And then I love the way you just, you know, invite that into a a more broad uh, invitation. So I'd love to hear- I mean,
1: isn't that what climate change is about? We're just adding heat to everything? (laughs) (laughs) This is not supposed to be depressing. (laughs) This
3: is supposed to be an inspiring (laughs) quote.
0: One one of the things as we, in that chapter we're talking about transformation and one of the things that comes out of that is awe on awe and wonder and recognizing that um our little efforts when we when we focus them on the changes that we want to see in the world that they do have a cumulative effect and that the world can change when we add our little you know our little moments of 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 service of compassion our little moments of caring our little moments of advocacy you know there are places where we do need to turn up heat on on the situations in the world our little our little moments of 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 activism that we we do need to add a little bit of heat there but but the world can change and we've seen the world change and so often we 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 imagine that the world only changes for the worse but we see all these little places where people's little actions and and oftentimes even when those little actions turn into to collective actions, um, that the world can transform and it can transform for the better. And and when we recognize sort of the the ways that healing happens in our lives, the way that healing happens in our world, the way that change really does happen. Um, you know, I think it's a, it's a, it's a call away, you know, one of the things that we, in the book, what we talk about is awe as an antidote to cynicism, that, that when we actually have wonder and awe around the ways that the world can and does change. It keeps us from being cynical about, you know, and 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 particularly in a week like this, as you know, I know normally you you probably would have spent a lot more time in the show talking about what's happening in the Middle East and 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 we look at the state of the world and we look at this problem that has been going on for centuries and it looks so intractable and we and it's really easy to be cynical about things like that, but we also if we're willing to pay attention, we see all these little pockets where people are working to make their communities better and make their communities more whole and make their communities more just. Um, and, And we should take notice of them and we should celebrate them and we should be in awe of them because it does push on our cynicism and causes us to be different in the world, um, and be more hopeful and active in the world. So, um, yeah, I love, I love that part of the book. I love to having that conversation with Jason about, about, um, uh, onions. cooking and onions and, <laughs> um, and, 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 you know, he's an artist and so he tends to see things from an artistic point of view. Um, but, I think being able to see the awe and the beauty and the ways that little things transform kind of can give us the catalyst for seeing bigger things transform and and being a part of bigger things transforming. Beautiful.
2: What would you add, Anna, if anything, in thinking about, you know, this sort of simple idea that I just did something that wasn't all that big and yet it made a real change in the world. Like I just, I love that idea.
3: I think Derek said it really well. I, the only thing that comes to mind to add is um, we often on the podcast, and I think we just say this in a lot of conversations that when you pull on the thread of food, it connects you to a lot of different things and and points to that interconnectedness. And it's, it's been on my mind this week. Just it feels like holding the tension of you know sitting with all that's happening in the world, which is always true and. Then there's weeks where it feels acutely true, um, while trying to celebrate this book and have that whoa, you know that that tension. Um, I think one of the ways I've been reconciling that tension is with the the hope and the belief that paying attention to that onion caramelizing actually does matter. Mm-hmm. If I'm paying attention to also pain and suffering across the globe and next door um and that there's something about these um physical natural processes I think it's similar to thinking about things that happen in the natural world and looking at how you know in the northeast the leaves are changing and things are dying and that process of you know death and then there's going to be resurrection there's going to be that that the nutrients that comes from those leaves. I mean, the, 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 these physical processes, that the awe in it is both of what's actually happening, but also how it can remind us and assure us and help us to keep showing up, trusting that there is spring after winter, that something that, you know, an onion, like a raw onion is not most of our favorite cup of tea, right? It's it's strong, it makes your eyes water, it's you know, these things that we might even call unpleasant, but that it can change to become this delicious, incredible thing, and that that is as is as true of an onion as it is of global politics or hardened hearts or a world that needs healing. Um and that we can be part
1: of that yeah
2: beautiful beautiful well thank you both so much for taking time to join us today congrats on the book listeners please go out and get a copy the just kitchen
1: so thank you friends for tuning in to pub theology live you can show your love for the show by becoming a supporter on patreon get access to pre and post show banter and more visit patreon.com slash pt live to get started and a big thank you to our current patrons listen anytime on soundcloud stitcher spotify apple and google podcasts our top cities tuning in this week are chicago illinois bryson city north carolina and petoskey michigan brian was i don't know where that is but brian must have been driving through it and listening to the show petoskey. <laughs> whatever <Yes. laughs> Uh, you, you can watch videos of these conversations on Facebook live for some reason if you want to and if you'd like to start a pub theology gathering in your town find support and resources at PubTheology.com. until next time friends drink responsibly and keep those conversations flowing
2: well thanks for making time on a busy week uh, you know I know you guys have a lot going on and a lot going on today but congrats again super super excited
3: Thank you so much for both of you for having us on the show. It's really fun.
0: And someday we'll be around the same table or in the same kitchen, like all of them. And Hogan, wherever you are, screw you. On the podcast, Um, if I was in Morocco, I would still show up when your book was coming out. So I just want you to know you're a terrible (laughs) friend.